We are in the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 2 this morning, if you want to turn there in your Bible with me. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word as your people, your church, give us, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus. And be at work by your Holy Spirit in our lives to grow us up into maturity. That we would live lives congruent with the gospel. And be the light you've called us to be in in this dark and hopeless world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's going to get really practical in this passage today and tell us exactly what it looks like for us to walk in gospel unity and and what it does not look like. at the end of chapter 1, just to get the context of, to frame of where we're at in uh, chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, that's where we're at this morning. Back at the end of chapter 1, he exhorted us that we are to let our manner of life be worthy of or congruent with, in line with, fitting the gospel of Christ. He said that walking consistent with the gospel looks like... Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is a, this is a church body thing that together we strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. It looks like gospel fearlessness in the face of opposition. It, it looks not only like believing in Jesus, but also Suffering together for the sake of his name. A gospel shaped life looks like gospel unity among God's people. In chapter 2, he continues this exhortation to be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Pushing unity among believers, among the family of God. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And then he holds up Jesus, who, although eternally existing as God, equal to his Father, humbled himself by his voluntary submission to his Father. Jesus, now exalted by his Father as Lord of all, to whom we owe our full allegiance. And verse 12, therefore, in response to this truth, we are to continue in our obedience. Obedience to the faith, living consistent with the gospel, working out this salvation that God has worked in us with fear and trembling. Live consistent with your obedience to the gospel. Work out your own salvation. Work out your blood-bought gospel unity as believers in Jesus with reverential awe and fear of the Lord because God initiated this work in us. He works it in you both to desire 
and to do, both to purpose and to carry it out according to his own good and sovereign will. The question we have today is how? How? What, what does walking in gospel unity actually look like? What does this working out together our salvation look like? What does it not look like? Here's something we learned from this passage today. It doesn't always matter what you do, but it always matters how you do what you do. Let me say that again. It doesn't always matter what you do, but it does always matter how you do whatever you do. We often ask, what is God's will for my life? Should I go to college? Should I not go to college? Should I... What, what degree should I pursue in college? What career path should I take? Should I take this job or that job? Should I live here or there? Here's what the Bible says. It doesn't really matter. A lot of those choices doesn't really matter. I think it was Luther that said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and do whatever you want. Because if you're loving God, you're going to seek to make choices that please Him. And some of those choices are like, should I do this or that? Either one could bring glory to God. It's not so much which you do, it's how you do what you do. It doesn't really matter if you earn a PhD and work as a neurosurgeon or if you flip burgers down at the local burger joint. But it matters greatly how you do those things. It matters how you do whatever it is that you do. Here's, here's one of the most clear statements in the whole Bible on the will of God for your life. You want to know what the will of God for your life personally today and tomorrow and into the future is? Here it is. You ready? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Here it is. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's the will of God for my life? Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks in all circumstances. Find joy in every circumstances. Live in constant dependence on and communication with God. Thanking Him always for every good gift He gives. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice God's will is not so much what you do as how you do it. Prayerfully, with joy, with thankful thankfulness. In humble dependence on Him. That's a positive statement of what God's, of, of what gospel unity among believers looks like. That's what we should be doing. Here in Philippians chapter 2 verse 14, Paul starts with a negative. What the gospel unity among believers does not look like. He gives us some things to avoid that would disrupt, destabilize gospel unity among believers. And he is focused not on what we do or don't do, 
but on how we do everything that we do do. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things. Whatever you do, do it like this. Without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. Whatever you do in life, do it without grumbling, without disputing. He just got done saying that we are to work out that which God has worked in us. Now he tells us how to do whatever it is that we do. Everything you do, do it all apart from, separated from grumbling, apart from, separated from distancing, disputing. Notice these two things don't make much sense if he's focusing on our individual personal salvation, do they? He's continuing his focus here as he is in the whole passage on gospel unity among believers. I mean, we yes, we, we do often grumble on our own to ourselves, right? But how often do we grumble to someone else? And if we're grumbling on our own, we're actually kind of hoping that somebody notices and commiserates with, oh yeah, that must be really, that's rough, I'm sorry. It's like, we're, it's, it's, a, it's a community kind of thing. It's, it's, dis, it's difficult to dispute with yourself. This is a community unity issue. These things relate primarily with how believers interact with one another. Do all things, whatever you do, without grumbling, without disputing. Grumbling In John chapter 7, there was much muttering, uh, that's, the, that's the same word translated here, grumbling, about Jesus among the people. People were disagreeing, and they still do today, about Jesus. Have you noticed? Jesus divides people. Different opinions. People are... The word grumbling, it's, it's, it's that, that kind of onomatopoetic kind of word that's like it's like that sound of grumbling in English too grumble grumbling about Jesus his identity is is he good is he leading people astray is he who he claimed to be is he is he a liar is he just a good guy well he didn't leave that option open for us He's either the God of the universe we claim to be, or he is a liar from the pit of hell. You've got to make a choice. You've got to choose a side. Acts chapter 6. There was a complaint, or another word, grumbling, by the Greek-speaking Jews against the Hebrew-speaking Jews. So you've got polarity based on uh, a language barrier there. Uh, about favoritism. We think you're treating our widows Worse than their widows. And so uh, Acts 6 is where deacons were appointed. Uh, the word deacon just means to serve. Uh, deacons were appointed to settle these disputes, to serve fairly and, and equally the, the people. First Peter chapter 4, Peter says, First Peter 4 verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Sinners, even forgiven ones, sin against others. Sin against one another. Don't be surprised 
in the body of Christ, it's not all roses and sunshine and rainbows. It's, well, the rose has thorns. And ow, that really hurt because we're human. We're not perfect. We sin against one another. It happens. It's not our intent. It's not our goal. It should not be our purpose. If it is, repent and turn to Jesus. But it happens and don't let that derail you. Love covers a multitude of sins. This is written to the church, to believers, followers of Jesus. Keep loving one another earnestly. That's something we have to be intentional about because, well, we hurt each other. Peter instructs us to show hospitality without grumbling. This reminds me of Martha in Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Hospitality. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The, the word grumbling is not used in this passage, but, but I think it would be an accurate description of how, how Martha was extending her hospitality. What she was doing was a good thing. It's good to welcome someone into your home. It's good to show hospitality. It was her attitude in, in doing what she was doing that was the problem. So much so that she grumbled to the Lord Jesus. Storms out of the kitchen. I was like, whoa, wow, what's okay? Listen to what she says. To Jesus, God in human flesh. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. She accused the Lord, Jesus, God who cared enough to become a human to rescue and die for humanity. You don't care, do you? What? See how distorted our attitudes can distort our perception of reality. She accused the Lord of not caring. She called attention to her own serving. Look at me back here in the kitchen, working hard. Aren't you impressed? And she told the Lord what he ought to say to her lazy sister. Tell her. Bossing God around. Whoa. She was serving. That's a good thing. But her attitude was all messed up. She was distracted with much serving. And it kept her from listening. It kept her from hearing. Which led to irritability. 
led to grumbling against the Lord himself, telling him what he ought to be doing. Do you see how serious this simple thing like grumbling is? And he's like, ah, what does it matter? Yeah, yeah, well, you agree, right? That's what grumbling is, is we rally people. I don't like that. Grumbling may be against one another, maybe against neighbors, it may be against leaders. Ultimately, all grumbling is grumbling against the Lord. We're not going to go there today, but you can look back in the Old Testament in the, the, the wilderness wanderings of the people and how often they grumbled against the Lord. And what the Lord thought of that, he was offended. Do all things without grumbling or disputing? Disputing. In Mark chapter 7, verse 20, Jesus said, what comes out of a person? They're, they're worried about how they eat and what they eat and following all the rules. And he says, you think you're being defiled by eating with unwashed hands, the ceremonial things of the Old Testament that all you gotta, you gotta dot your T's and cross your I's and get it all right. He says, what come, it's not what it goes into a person that defiles him, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. For, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. That's our word, disputings. Out of the heart of man come evil disputings. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Notice Jesus doesn't start his list with murder or sexual immorality. He starts his list with evil thoughts, evil disputes. Sin starts from within. Evil thoughts, the internal dialogue that we carry on, but it quickly leaks out in a toxic spill of words or worse. Disputes defile us. Immediately after Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 9 that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of men, an argument or a dispute arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. See how wrong this is? How out of context this is? How self-seeking they were? Jesus just says something really important and they completely miss it. The, the text says they did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. But it was hidden right out there in plain sight. Uh, Jesus said it out loud. And, and they heard it because somebody wrote it down. So we have it in our Bibles today. But they missed it because they were so inward focused. And a dispute. Hey, I'm better than you. No, I think I'm better than you. Well, no, I'm more important. 
we probably wouldn't have that kind of a conversation and say it in those terms, but does not our attitude reflect that underlying belief? You are wasting my time, and I'm more important than that. You are inconveniencing me, and it is, it is all about me. Paul warns in Romans 14, when talking about what, what we might call the gray areas of right and wrong, matters of conscience, what, what you eat or what you abstain from eating, what you drink or what you abstain from drinking, uh, what days you observe, what days you don't observe. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel or dispute over opinions. He says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Uh, but we should not judge or look down on those who hold a different opinion. And we shouldn't waste time quarreling or disputing over these matters of conscience. There is, brothers and sisters, there is plenty that is black and white that we need to pay closer attention to. Grumbling and disputing are sins against unity, sins against the community. They are opposed to Christ-like humility because they are motivated by pride, by self-seeking. They're opposed to the blood-bought unity that we have been given in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do all things. Whatever you do, do it all without grumbling, without disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. How you do, everything you do matters. Our attitudes matter. If we live free from grumbling, free from disputing, that will be a radical testimony to the contentious, self-seeking, tear-each-other-down world that is around us. The purpose of doing all that we do without grumbling or disputing is that we will be blameless and innocent without blemish, irreproachable, untainted, unblemished. Remember, this is how we work out the salvation that God has worked in us. How we live consistent with the gospel we believe. We're not cleaning ourselves up to make ourselves presentable to God. That's not what he's talking about. He washes us clean in the blood of Jesus when we put our trust in Jesus alone. He releases us from the debt of our sin because the price was paid in full at the cross. His wrath was satisfied in Jesus' suffering and now He counts me a sinner who's trusting in Jesus as righteous in Christ. That's what's true of us because of the Gospel. Because we're believing in the Gospel. But the good news makes us new. It gives us a new heart. New desires. Desires to please this good God who humbled Himself to rescue us. We do not work for our salvation. We work from 
our salvation. And we work it out in seeking to live consistently with the gospel. Brothers and sisters, if we truly understand what we as sinners deserve, what has been given to us freely in Jesus, we have no reason to grumble. And rather than disputing with one another, we ought to be worshiping together with one another. Amen? Amen. He calls us children of God. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. John in in John chapter 1 tells us that all who receive Jesus, all who believe in His name, He gives the right to become Children of God. Children who were born of God. New birth. This is something we become, not something we already are. Paul tells us in Romans 8, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Father, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We're adopted into His family. Adopted children made made co-heirs, equal heirs with Jesus, the only begotten Son. The only... We might say biological son. Although that might be a theological stretch. We're adopted into his family. John says in 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What love. What a gift. What a high and holy privilege to be adopted. Called sons of God. Co-heirs with Christ. If that is our new gospel identity. Because we belong to Jesus. Wouldn't it be in line with that identity. That we ought to conduct ourselves. Consistent with this new gospel reality. We ought to conduct ourselves in a way that suits our identity as children of God. This is not in order to attain to, but this is because we already are. See that difference? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Paul contrasts believers who seek to live consistent with the gospel with this crooked and twisted generation. And he says there's going to be a contrast like light and darkness, like oil and water. And it's going to show, it's going to be evident that there's a difference. Paul here is drawing his language from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I'd encourage you 
this afternoon, maybe go back and read Deuteronomy 32. Fascinating chapter. We, we're, we're just going to hit a little bit of it this morning. Deuteronomy 32 is contrasting God, whose ways are perfect, with his people. And he says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, they, his people, have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay Yahweh, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? He goes on. But this is the passage where he says in verse 21, They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. It actually says they're worshiping demons. He says, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. We see that in the New Testament as Paul begins to preach the gospel to non-Jewish people and they believe in Jesus. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he says, you know what? Whores, sluts, and Politicians are going to enter the kingdom of God before you. Oh, you religious hypocrites. Ouch. In Deuteronomy, the crooked and twisted generation are God's own chosen but rebellious people who are acting inconsistent with their high and holy calling. They are not living consistent with their identity as children of God. They are living like the world, twisted and crooked. Sometimes even worse than the world. Here Paul calls the Philippians to stand out from this crooked and twisted world around them by their gospel-shaped integrity. He says, they will shine like lights in the world. By following Jesus, by not grumbling, by not disputing, by by exhibiting gospel unity, we will shine like lights in a very dark place. This is exactly what Jesus calls us to in Matthew 5. He says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul follows Jesus who calls us to let our light shine in such a way that people see us working out our salvation with fear and trembling in such a way that it is clear that it's God who's at work in us both to want to and to carry out the things that he purposes for us. We are walking in the good works that he prepared in advance that we should walk in. 
we together, living in gospel unity, shine in such a way that the world begins to see the glory of God on display in His blood-bought community, the church. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. How do we shine in the world? By holding fast to the word of life, by holding securely to the word and holding up the word for all to see. Hold fast to the word that was preached to you. The truth of the good news. Believe the gospel. Cling to it. Hold tightly to the word, capital W, who was with God and who was himself God who became flesh, who dwelt among us. John chapter 1 verse 4, In Him the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Abide. Abide in the Word. Let His Word abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. You will shine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you that you are more concerned with how we do what we do than exactly what it is we do. And Lord, we desperately need your help with our attitudes. So often... We are, our, our attitudes, our emotions, our feelings, the way we respond to one another is out of step with the gospel. When we, when we look again at the good news we've been given, the way we feel and think and speak, it's not congruent with this message we claim to believe. So Lord, I ask this morning, would you Hold up the gospel in front of us again in such a way that we see the beauty, the treasure that we have been freely given, that we don't deserve. And help the gospel shape our interactions with one another and with, it and with people in general. Lord, I pray that you would bring about blood-bought gospel unity among your people. That we would not be like Israel that, that went our own way, that followed worthless things, that put other things above you when you alone are worthy. Lord, help us to treasure together the gift we've been given. And help us to live lives consistent with the gift we've been given. You've called us your sons. You've adopted us into your family. Thank you. Help us to live by the family rules, the family values, 
demonstrate what it looks like to be in this family. Jesus, help us to learn from you because your yoke is easy, your burden is light. Thank you for coming into this world to show us what it looks like to not live for ourselves, but to find true joy in humbly sacrificing our wills for the good of others. Work this in us by your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'm going to invite some of our men to come and prepare to serve us communion. This is, once again, holding up the gospel in front of us to remind us, because I don't know about you, but I'm so forgetful. It's so easy, so we are so quick to say, yes, this is what I believe, but I'm, well, then why are you not living consistent with it? This is a reminder. The, the person that wronged you, the person that offended you, the person to whom you grumbled or complained or used sharp words or, or disputed against, they don't deserve your forgiveness. And they might need to do some things to earn your forgiveness until you're content to feel like they paid what they owe so that you can be nice to them again. Is that how God treated you? While I was his enemy, he sent the Lord Jesus to become human to die in my place. I wasn't seeking reconciliation. I was still spitting in his face. I was still driving the nails. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna voluntarily, willingly lay down my life for you. You don't deserve it. You never will. It's a gift. someone wrongs you well you eat that uh, I'm going to pay the price that hurt me and you doing something is not going to fix that so why am I holding you to that when God doesn't hold me to try to make reparations he just unilaterally says I'm writing that one off. I'm eating the cost. I'm paying the price. And I'm going to let, I'm going to release you from the debt that you owe. Living consistent means we do that for one another. This is the gospel. This is the good news. We receive a gift we didn't earn, we'll never deserve. And as we take that into ourselves, it changes us. God changes our hearts so that that becomes our attitude to the people around us. The, the believers who we think should know better but still hurt each other because we're human. We bear the weight of that and we forgive because we've been forgiven so much more. So as, as we serve, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, take bread, take juice, reflect on the gospel that's been given freely to you. And as we take that together, Remember to allow it to change you so that you extend the same kind of grace to the people around you. Once we've all been served, we'll, uh, we'll take that together as a body.
Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that Jesus, you, God from all eternity, became human to be nailed to a cross, to be suspended between heaven and earth, and bear the hot and holy wrath of your Father against every one of my sins. You paid my price in full. And you said so. It is finished. It's paid in full. The debt is canceled. And that cost you infinitely. We can't fathom what it meant for you to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Thank you. Thank you for forgiving all my sins. Thank you for making me new. And Lord, as we receive your good news, your gospel, I pray that we would extend the same kind of forgiveness to the people around us. Allow your gospel to go in to penetrate the deepest parts of our hearts and minds and to change us to be a little more like you today. We receive together a good gift from your hand and we say thank you. His body, broken for you. Take it. His blood poured out to wash us clean, to make us new. Drink it.